Hello and welcome everyone. If somebody could type uh, yes into the questions box or the live chat to let me know you guys can hear me, that would be great. I'd appreciate that. My name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded EventRight with Stephen Key over 21 years ago. We've been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since. Thank you, Jeff, for letting me know that you guys can hear me. Um, and we've had students in over 65 countries. And so what do we coach and mentor inventors to do? It's to license their products. And so when you license, I say this top every show, um, when you license a product to a big company, and these are the companies that sell in the retailers. You don't license to the retailers themselves. You license to the companies that sell at the retailers. So when you license to that manufacturer or brand that's selling a product at a retailer, it doesn't matter if it's a consumer, industrial product, what have you that it's their money, so you don't need to raise money. So these companies are large, they have lines of credit. For a product that's selling well, they're never gonna run out of money. So you don't need to raise money or venture capital. This isn't Shark Tank, you don't need that. This is better than Shark Tank. This is licensing, this is reality, which is more real than reality TV. And so when you license a product to come, you get their money and you get their workforce. So it's their sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising, all those people are in this company and they have maybe 20, 50, 80, 100 products. And now your product's just one more product in their line and they're, your, your product is part of that machine. So when you license your product to a big company, you're part of that machine and that's a very, very positive thing. And the best part of that machine, so you don't need to, you don't need to hire employees either, right? So it's their money, it's their employees, not yours. And it's their existing distribution. So if they're in 30,000 stores, boom, you're in 30,000 stores. So you get all three of those things, money, workforce, and existing distribution. Because when you try to make and sell your own product, retailers don't like one SKU, one product companies. Most of them would never deal with you. And I respect the people that work tooth and nail to get into major retailers when they have one product, but they will not keep you there very long if you only have one product. So you're much better off licensing it to a big company that can not only get your product in those big retailers, but keep them there because they have the sales force to keep it there, give those discounts, do those things. Where if you start your own business, try to sell your own product, you can work tooth and nail. Maybe you can get a product in there, but the benefit of licensing. Um, hmm. It says my connection is unstable. Please wait while we try to read. Sorry, it was saying that connection wasn't stable. There we go. Um, it's everywhere. Okay, I think we're good now. You guys can hear me now? Jeff, is it still cutting out? Yes? Somebody type yes into the chat. Okay, lots of reloading. Sorry about that, guys. Um, okay, I think it's good now. I don't know why it said my connection was unstable. Um, because maybe it was. Anyway, so let's just jump into some Q&A. So the types of questions that, um, that I can answer are questions about licensing. So it's cutting out still. Sorry about that, guys. Um, let me type in here. Let me see if I can turn off my Wi-Fi. How, how about now, guys? Is that any better? Can you hear me now? Let's see. Take that cell phone commercial, right? Let's see. Turn. Okay. I'm good now. 
Well, if you guys could type in again, if it starts buffering, let me know. I think we're I think we're out of the. I turned off the Wi-Fi, so it's just wired. Okay, so it should always go to the. All right, good deal. Um, so the types of questions that I can answer are questions about licensing, which is what I just described. That's what licensing is. And when you license your products to companies, usually in 99% of the cases, the deals we do with our students, you're going to get paid your royalties quarterly. That's every three months. So you don't like sell. You never want to say, I want to sell you my patent or I want to sell you my invention. Total rookie move. You want to license it. So as they make money, you make money and you get paid those royalties quarterly. Even very large companies that could afford it, they're not going to pay you a bunch of money up front. Because they're investing tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in your product already, they're taking all that risk and doing all the work. And for you to ask for a bunch of money up front, major kill dealer, deal killer, don't do that. To ask them to pay for your patent, okay, that's reasonable. Protects them and you if, if they care about patents. Some companies don't care. That's that's very reasonable. But to ask for a bunch of upfront money, not a good thing to do. So for those of you that are new to doing the Q&A, Hopefully that was helpful. Um, Thoughtful Jones says, have, have you experienced a licensing deal end up become a buyout deal instead? Um, you know, occasionally a company will say like, if it gets to this level, we want to be able to buy you out and they'll put in the contract. But that's like maybe like 1% of the deals that we've done over the last 21 years. It's very unusual. Um it's something you could negotiate. Like, so let's say it's let's say it's making you decent royalties, 100k a year or something like that, and it sells for four years, and there's no end in sight. It just seems to be going and going, and going, and you wanted to be greedy, and they're like, oh no, this is great. You could say, well, why don't you pay me for three years royalties and buy me out? But here's here's what it is: companies, even though it's selling really well for four years, let's say. They don't know where it's going to go. They don't usually like to take those risks. They'd rather pay you as you go. So it's usually just not a good deal for an inventor to do a buyout um, because they won't pay you what it's worth because they don't want to take that risk. I guess if you're really desperate for money and the product was selling really well, you could do something like that. Okay, so let's jump back up to first question. Uh, Caleb said, hi, Andrew. Is it... Is it to be expected to hear from a large tool companies that they do not take out ideas from outside parties? One said it was legalities. Other said is they just don't accept. So there's been a bunch of tool companies. Tool companies are weird. And there's a chart that our head coach has. and I have it too because he sent it to me. And it's a chart of the tool industry. And you can actually, I forget what you need to type. But, you know, if you're interested, Caleb, you should type it. And I don't know if this will get you where you want to go because, I don't remember what keywords, probably like five minutes of searching, I would find it. But if you type in like a matrix or flow chart of the tool industry and companies, maybe you type something like that into Google, there is a flow chart and you'll see that, like, don't quote me on the statistic, but I know it's somewhat accurate, is that eight tool companies own like 70 to 80% of all tool companies. So they're different companies and they're parent and child companies. And so um, my opinion with the tool business is a couple things going on there. Um, first off, and I'm just going to make a joke of it, there's like too much testosterone flowing. And they make too big of a deal 
out of patents. So a lot of industries, they don't care that much about patents, but the tool industry kind of does. You have a patent on that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, and they, they, they do battle with each other too. It's, it's a tough business. So I see why they, uh, they like patents more than other industries. Um, I, so part of that is there's just like kind of a tough guy mentality with the tool industry and, um, maybe there needs to be some more women in that industry. I don't know. Um, there's another problem with the tool industry. Uh, and the, I've never heard, even our other co-founder, Stephen, talk about this, but I've kind of noticed it. Every repair guy, tradesman, and their grandmother, because people are handy, handymen are handy, right? Whether you're construction or plumber or this or that, uh, let's not put plumbing into that because that's not tools. But um, what, you know, they could come up with ideas, you come up with fixes and there's a lot of inventors that are handyman construction folks, people that use these tools and they are giving away the farm and they don't know what the hell they're doing. They haven't been trained. Like our invent right students have been trained. They don't have any base training like you guys have by just, you know, watching our YouTube videos for free. They don't know what they're doing and they, they settle for way too little. They don't know how to negotiate licensing deals. And they end up screwing themselves. So I, my speculation is too many tool companies have done, been able to offer crappy deals to handymen that have then accepted it and have messed it up for you. So too much testosterone, too obsessed with patents, um, too many handy handymen giving away the farm, thinking they want to sell their idea. Maybe they take 10 grand, 15 grand, which is ridiculous, by the way. Never do that. And they know that some people are willing to do that. Um, so with that said, if we've got students licensed tools, you can totally license tools. A bunch of tool companies have recently closed their doors, but I know they really haven't closed their doors because I know of people that have gotten in the back door. And that same company that says publicly we're not accepting ideas. Have I know inventors have gotten in the back door. I've talked to marketing managers on LinkedIn or elsewhere, and they said, yes, yeah, send it on over to me. So... Um, you know, I think that right now for the complete amateur that thinks they can only submit to companies that have a public uh, submission portal, that it feels that way, that they've closed their doors, but they haven't. Are they harder to do deals with? Absolutely. They're kind of a pain to do deals with. Um, are they a little more, are they more obsessed with patents? Yes, they are, Caleb. And I don't like that either. But so what? File a provisional patent on something that's decent. And then if you get interest, get them to pay for the patent, get them to give you up from money, put that towards the patent because they will want a patent most of the time. Um, so, uh, Caleb, you need to go in the back door and realize and get that chart. Google it. Find like a tool industry chart of companies and who owns who or type something like that. You'll find it. There's a bunch of them out there and you'll see that there's only a few companies. That's another problem when there's an industry that not that many companies own like everything, which is not typical um, there's, so those are all some of the factors that make tools a little harder. Um, if you're passionate about tools, I would still, uh, do tools, but you got to get in the back door. We teach our students to use LinkedIn and other techniques and just reaching out, um, to get into companies. So hopefully that was helpful. Uh, let's see. John said, trying to get trying to license my products, uh, but very difficult getting response using cell sheets and I have a prototype. 
So, um, you know, I think it's just like when one of our students is with a coach and they want to reach out to three companies, they correct them. No, we're reaching out to 20 or 30. When one of our students has a poor sell sheet, they go, you could send this to 30 companies. This ain't going nowhere because it's not, it's not, I don't talk like that normally. It was a joke, but um, this is not clear. This is not, I get it in six seconds. Um, when a student's complain, like, oh, I sent it twice and they didn't respond. Um, or the coach is like, so what? That's normal. Like, what are you saying being LinkedIn? What are you saying on the phone? What are you emailing? What are you doing? And we've, and people will do things wrong. So, um, John, I, you know, there's so much in the chat here that I don't want to ask this question and go back because I probably won't get back to it then. But um, you're probably not doing enough. You're probably not sending a good sell sheet. I, one of these things might be true. None of them might be true. You're not sending a good sell sheet. You're not sending enough people. So you're saying you have difficulty getting response, but your thoughts might be, I sent it to four people and they're just not responding. You're upset about that. Well, you're not saying enough times. I mean, sometimes you need to send it to five, six times, eight times the same person. Um, what are you saying? How are you reaching out? Are you reaching out to LinkedIn, via email, phone? What are you saying? What are you doing? So you're probably not doing enough and you're probably not doing it right. Um, but do not despair if you're not they won't remember you unless you get wacky on them. Don't do that. Most inventors don't do that. I talk to some inventors that do. You're making the rest of us look bad. But as long as you don't get wacky on, they won't remember you. So if you realize your sell sheet sucks or, you know, you don't whine when you drop another email, you just pretend like you never sent it before and you send it again. Don't say, oh, I've sent this to you five, send you an email five times. And then you don't reattach the email. First of all, don't say that. And then don't, they're supposed to dig for your email. Are you kidding me? So people do just about everything wrong. So I'm not saying this is what you're doing, John, because I don't know, because uh, you can't speak up and say, but my guess is you're not doing enough and you're not doing it right. And you're thinking like, oh, I just can't. Yeah, it is difficult getting a response. All our students that are doing everything right, they have a hard time getting a response. Sometimes first time out, right back to you. Another guy, got to reach out to him eight times before you get a response. Um, so... Let's see. All right. So doo -doo -doo. I can't speak to that, Smith. Um, our royalties tax like 1099 income. You need to consult your tax advisor for that. I can't, um, I can't comment on that. Um, uh, I don't have the person's first name. So the handle is Riggin Wit Cook. Okay. If you... And maybe that is your name. Uh, if you have a cell phone electronic accessory ideas, since Apple and Samsung doesn't accept, what companies are good for licensing phone accessories? Well, you're not thinking about this. I'm just going to call you Riggin, since that's uh, your handle there. Um, why would you try to license a cell phone accessory to Samsung and Apple? I'm playing devil's advocate here, so you guys can all learn a little something here. Um, Apple and Samsung don't, they sell a few cell phone accessories, mostly Apple stuff. I have, I have an iPhone. I don't buy from Apple. It's ridiculously overpriced. So why would you try to license a cell phone accessory to Apple or Samsung? Why? You know, I mean, hey, if you got the, like I have an iPad, I have an iPad Pro, the big one, and I have an Apple keyboard, but there's tons of other keyboards. So if you had like the latest, greatest, 
new Apple iPad keyboard. And it was so cool. Yeah, okay, maybe Apple would be one of your potential licensees. But there's uh, an insane amount of companies making um, iPhone and iPad cases and accessories and things. And so in that particular area, most of them you wouldn't want to approach because most of them aren't companies. They're just people importing crap from China and slapping their name on it. And you'll see the same product with five different companies with their name on it, right? That's not the company you license to because they're not innovating. But you're going to see some companies doing something that's a little bit different. And those might be the companies that you license to. And maybe a company that's in Best Buy or is in Walmart or Target or, or, or online. A lot of the stuff is bought online these days. So, um, Regan, you, you wouldn't approach an Apple or a Samsung. You can they're not an accessory company. You know, there's tons of it. So you license the company selling cell phone accessories that are in the places where you want to be, not the manufacturers of them, but they're actually have distribution in the stores, the brands, right? And so like come to mind, like, you know, Otterbox and Belkin, there's a ton of them, but don't limit yourself to those two because there's tons more. Um, it's, that's, that's a hard category. It's a category where there's a ton of companies and there's a ton of products, and um, you can always license products in that area. But the reason why there's so many companies is because there's so much stuff sold there. So I think it's a good area to work in. The thing that gets our students confused there is you don't waste your time trying to license to some dude living in his basement that is like importing stuff from China, slapping it on their name on it, and just selling it on Amazon. That's not the guy you license to. So that's very specific advice for you. So hopefully that's helpful uh, or anybody working on a cell phone accessory. Uh, Kelly says, what if a small company that you had licensed with has now been bought out? <coughs> what happens with the original agreement with the small, with the small agreement, with the small company? Okay. So um, you want to follow up with the new company and, and talk to them because sometimes what can happen is that can get lost in the shuffle. So I've some students that have licensed to a company, they got bought out. And the royalty checks started stopped coming. Well, it's not that they don't want to pay you the royalty checks. There's this transition. And that person that was in charge of that got laid off because when they merge, quite often that happens. It's just not getting taken care of. So you just need to remind them, look, we've got this deal. And then he gets back on track. Um, occasionally, like, though, look, we're not interested in doing this product anymore. The only time I've seen that is when the deal happened, then they got bought out. And they're like, oh, no, we're not doing that anymore. And they hadn't launched the product. Once they've launched the product and it's being produced and it's being sold, much less likely. So uh, we had so many students do deals over the years that I've actually seen that. Did a licensing deal, another company bought them out, and the other new company is like, no, no, we're not doing that anymore. And it's like, oh, crap. But if they're already selling it, it's already product, they're part of their product line, just reach out to them and make sure they know so it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. And, and it's, it's an honest mistake if that happens perfectly fine. They're like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. We're making this transition sort of thing. And if you, if your contact is still there or if they got laid off and they're still on LinkedIn, ask who the new contact is at the old company so that they can move that on over to the new company or just get it going. So they're still paying you royalties. So I don't really see it being a problem except if they get bought out when just shortly after you do the deal in their process of launching it and then they kill it. That I've seen happen a couple times. Um, Don asked a good question. He answered his own question pretty much, which is great and shows he's knowledgeable. 
I've heard licensing deals range from five to eight percent based on wholesale. Yeah, that's the most common royalty rate. Um, it can get abysmally low with these DRTV infomercial guys get down like two percent, which the first time I saw that I was like, what the hell? But they either go huge or want nothing quite often. So it's OK in those instances. I wouldn't say I wouldn't negotiate for more. Um, but five to eight percent is probably the most common. Um, I mean, I saw one student, I think it was a drum related product. He got the equivalent of a 20 percent royalty, but it was a very low volume product. So, you know, and I'll restate this. I think I do this almost every meeting. It's not just the royalty rate. It's three things. It's the royalty rate. Let's say let's say five to eight percent. Let's say six percent. OK. And then it's the price of the product. Is it a 99 cent product or a $59 product? Because you're getting that on the royalty. So, and um, Don is absolutely right. Usually it's on the wholesale price because it's easy to track. It's the price that the manufacturer sells it to the retailer for. So say sell it to the retailer for um, for $12.95 and the retailer sells it for $24.95. You're getting on the price you're selling it to the retailer for, okay? Um, but it's don't get too obsessed with the royalty rate and you don't know how much money you can earn until you get there because the royalty rate, the price of the product, and then the volume being sold. And you're going to get them to commit to a certain volume. So if they're going to sell, you know, 20,000 units a year, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, it all depends on the product. But then you, you put those figures together. You multiply the royalty rate times the wholesale price times the volume being sold and go, oh, crap. Well, yeah, they're only offering me 4% royalty, but with the with it being a $39.95 product and the volume they can sell, damn, I'm going to be earning over 100K a year. Sells for five years, it's half a million dollars. Or I'm going to be earning 20K a year or 40K a year, whatever it is. Um, and you'll figure out if that's okay. So people think like it's all about the royalty rate and it's not, it's so not. Um, you can get a great royalty rate, but if they're only going to sell a thousand units a year, you're not going to be very happy with those royalty checks, right? Um, so great question and answer, Don. Um, and I'm happy to confirm there. Uh, um, so William's talking about the PTAB, how PTAB at the patent office, William is saying, are throwing out and invalidating some patents. Um, the, the, the zip it tool guy is a friend of Steven's and I know that happened to him, but we've never had it happen to one of our students in 21 years. Um, I think it could happen, but I don't think it's that, uh, common. And usually when a company's trying to invalidate somebody's invention in PTAB, which is a patent trial, trial and review board at the USPTO at the patent office, um, it's usually because a lot of money is being made. And Gene, I don't know if you got that part of the story with the Zip It tool. So this was a really cool product. It's a, it's a piece of plastic, very cheap piece of plastic with a bunch of barbs on it. You stick it down a, a bathroom sink and you can pull it up or a tub drain and it pulls up all this hair. It's an amazing product. And Gene has made millions and millions and millions of dollars with that for a really long time. I, I don't know how many years, eight or 10 years. I, I Don't quote me on that. Um, Gene's a super nice guy, great guy. He's made a lot of money. Congratulations, Gene. You made a buttload of money with your product. And now it sucks that um, that product became invalidated uh, through PTAB and then a bunch of other companies started selling it. 
I don't find that to be a common thing. I think it has happened to some folks. Never happened to one of our students. And, and really, if it does happen to you, it's probably because you made a buttload of money. Pardon my language. Um, so it's something that can happen. Uh, but it's, it's, at this point, very, very rare. I certainly hope it doesn't become more common. I certainly hope not. Um, uh, Stefan said, hi, Andrew, have you um, seen any shifts in the hard to easy to license industries? No, not really. I mean, I think that the shift, which I think will change, one thing, obviously, during COVID, probably not the best time to get the hotel and restaurant supplies like ladles and hotel and restaurant supply equipment and stuff. I'm assuming that took a dive, but I, I think that's already probably already going up. So during COVID, um, I think it was very hard probably to license uh, restaurant supplies. I didn't have any students even attempting to do it um, because it probably didn't make sense. Um uh, during COVID, we've had way more students during COVID than before COVID licensed products. So licensing is booming. Um, it really is. One thing that, that we did notice during COVID and still now is deals are taking a little hard, longer to do. They're getting done and actually more are getting done than this time last year. But it's taking longer for manufacturers that are manufacturing that would license from you, um, the brands. Uh, to get quotes overseas, mostly in China. And it's it's taking them longer. And the shipping rates are just absolutely killing some of these manufacturers. It's really tough. And if you guys haven't seen it yet, you're going to see it in your prices as a consumer. I, went, I got a really killer deal on some artificial grass. Where I live, it's super hot. It makes no sense to have real grass. And I got really nice, realistic artificial grass. And it's beautiful. It'll probably... I don't know, I'll probably break even after 10 years. It was expensive. And, but I got a really good deal in December. And I had to go back over the weekend to buy a little more because the installers ran. I thought about doing it myself, which is insane. I'm glad I didn't do that because it's a lot of work. Um, I went over the weekend because the installers ran out of grass. And they needed some more grass. That sounds kind of funny. But we're talking about artificial grass now. And I just got a small piece. And it was almost double. And the guy said most consumers would probably be like, oh, he's full of it. Um, he said, well, our, our shipping costs have just gone through the roof. I didn't flinch. I'm like, yeah, I believe you. Because we've had a couple companies um, come on. We're connecting our students with companies now in these bridging the gap meetings. We're bringing companies on that we know to tell our students what they're particularly looking for. We've had now three of those companies have said, oh, the, sh the container costs, the shipping costs are just killing us. Um, so if you guys haven't seen that in your prices as a consumer, you will. Hopefully, that's going to change in the next six months or so, hopefully. Um, so I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, oh, yes. As Stefan said, have you seen any shifts in the industry um, hard to license? Uh, so I went off on a tangent there, So which was an interesting um, uh, observation uh, but companies still need new products. You're still going to sell products. They're just going to have to jack up the prices on consumers. So you're going to see that. So, um, you know, no, not really. Uh, I think that it's it's pretty, I mean, first off, sometimes Stephen and myself will rattle off some industries. There's so many industries. I couldn't possibly rattle them all off. Um, sometimes going with those design dinosaur industries that haven't done anything new in a long time, 
that could be a great thing to do. And then you come in there, they're not getting a lot of people sending them new stuff. And they're like, whoa, this is great. And it's not really that big of a deal because you're creative and they aren't. Now, some industries are dinosaurs for a reason because they're resistive to change, you know. Um, but if you can get in there, some of the dinosaur industries and show them a new product, they might be interested. But it's like, why haven't they changed up until now? So they can be hard to license to. But they can. it can also be a great thing because you don't have a bunch of other inventors in there. In like kitchen, home storage organizations, still fantastic, through the roof, tons of great companies. One of my favorite my favorite trade show to go to now is the houseware show in Chicago. Haven't been there in a while because they canceled it under COVID, but they are the housewares, the home storage organization, kitchen companies are more open. There's a ton of companies there. People constantly buying products, very clever stuff, lower price point stuff, some higher price point stuff, still a great industry. I think uh, gardening is great. Um, a lot of people retiring, more people gardening. But when I go to the hardware show and I go to this giant pavilion, they have a whole gardening section. I don't find that many innovative products. A lot of it's kind of decorative and stuff. But I do see that as a great industry if you can come up with something. Um, and I think you guys can. So I think gardening is a great industry. Automotive aftermarket is great. Um, licensing to a major automotive manufacturer, you might as well shoot yourself in the head right now. We help one of our students do it. And they signed such a lockdown NDA, they couldn't give us a testimonial or even talk about it, um, which really sucked because it was a huge deal. But uh, I can only think of two students we've ever helped do licensing deals with automotive manufacturers like Volkswagen, GM. That's just painful. They don't want to add costs and they're just so archaic and so slow. Um, but automotive aftermarket, psh, so many companies, amazing. We have this one student licensed this really cool Jeep door. When you have a Jeep, it doesn't have the doors. You know, instead it has like a hard, like it's a little Lamborghini door that comes up, but it's just like a, a stick and it comes up. Really cool. We licensed that. A um, whole bunch of other students license automotive products. That's great. I mean, there's so many industries. Um, medical is still hard, but lots of money if you can do it. Medical devices is particularly hard. Um, that you need to have a lockdown patentability. I still love medical stuff. I think it's great, but it's just, it's kind of like you're doing a pretty big deal or no deal at all. And you got to have some, you got to have some good protectability there where if it's a kitchen gadget, they don't really care about patents. Um, but if it's a medical device, they do. Um, a lot of nurses and doctors, we've had licensed stuff in those areas. You don't have to be a nurse or a doctor to license stuff in there. So still like the area. Um, but it's going to be harder to do a deal there and have a better patent there. I, I, there's just endless industries. So please, guys, don't limit yourself to these industries that we typically rattle off like just, I just did. Do not limit yourself to those. There's so many cool industries that you can invent in. Um, oh, oh uh, the tapers in pretty well with that, Carlos, is the next question after William. Do you find it difficult to license digital-type products? Yes, it is harder to license a digital product. Well, speaking of industries that are a little more difficult, electronics products are going to be harder to license. Not because, well, one, they're a little harder to license to. The companies are just harder to license to. But two, because you get inventors that don't understand the electronics. And the company's like, well, how do we do this? And the inventor's like, well, I don't know. I think it's a good idea. And it's like, really? And so if you can do electronics, but your piece of it is fairly straightforward and you can 
based on assumptions, go, well, they could do that over there and there. I'm just going to bring it over here. And you can tell them that. They're like, oh, okay, great. But I find that some inventors, they try to do these electronic products. And I know you were talking digital, Carlos, so I'll address that in a minute. And they don't have any understanding of it. And that's not really good. But if your piece of it isn't complicated, great. You don't have to understand the whole workings of the electronic product. You just like, let's say you got a new power strip and you just have this clever way of wrapping it up. You know, no big deal. You don't have to understand the inner workings of a power strip. Okay. So there's a lot of examples where you can do complicated products, but your piece of it's not complicated. And you understand your piece of it enough where they could implement it. Okay. Um, digital online stuff. Yeah, that's a little bit more difficult. Um, apps are definitely harder. Here's the deal with apps. Everybody and their grandmother has an idea for an app. but And the app guys are a little cynical. They're like, well, that's great, guy. But that's going to, it's a great idea. But that's going to take like six guys in a room a year to program. So when you have ideas, the app geeks um, who know how to program this stuff, and I respect them for that, they don't respect you when you just have these random ideas and it's like, way complicated and stuff. If it's really simple and really straightforward, that's a good thing. Um, so uh, apps can be definitely hard. Digital online stuff really depends on what you're talking about, Carlos. It, it, it's going to vary. Um, uh, Len said, if you have product that is compatible with multiple manufacturers, do you pursue multiple license agreements or what? Or what if you get one agreement and then the other manufacturers call about it? So I, I, I address this on much every call, but I think it's great for everybody to hear. Some of these people think like, well, if I license to five companies in that space, then I'll make more money. And that's not realistic. So if they're all selling on the same shelf of Walmart, that doesn't make any sense. One doesn't have an advantage over the other, right? So my rule is if they're stepping on each other's toes, it doesn't make sense. So you're going to license to one really big company. And, you know, some of these companies are really big. They could do crazy volumes. So don't think that you're going to do better if you license it to five. But if they're all going to be competing with each other with the same new benefit, it doesn't make sense most of the time. Now, if they're selling in a different geography or you got a different version of the product, like one's super cheap and it's sold in these places, and then the one you want to license to these guys is higher end and sold here, and they're like, oh, yeah, we don't care about that, you can negotiate it by geography, by distribution channel, by a different version of the product. Maybe that product is utilized slightly differently in different industry. Can you break that out and do multiple licensing deals? Yes. Is that most of the time the case with their students? No. Um, but I see stuff all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, you could break that out. You could do you know, a deal over here, and you could still do a deal over there, and you won't be stepping on their toes. That's fine. But it's whatever you can get them to agree to. Um, so, no, once you do a deal with a company, though, Len, and they're selling it, let's say Walmart, and it's a, say it's a new doorstop, right? Another company calls you and says, oh, I want it, you know, and they're selling in big box stores too. No, you're done. That's your licensee. As long as they're performing, they get the exclusive and that's reasonable. Don't be greedy, you know, not saying you're being greedy, Glenn. I'm just saying, don't be greedy in general. Um, and that's how it goes. Because I, I joke that when you're licensing, you can have delusion of gran delusions of grandeur because these companies are big. So when you license them, you are them. So if you tend to think big with your ideas, you can think big when you're licensing and you're not delusional. For them to sell, it depends on the product, for them to sell 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, half a million units a year, whatever a product is, it's, it's, it's all relative, um, is not craziness. 
So go for it. License that big company. But to think you're going to license three of those big companies that all compete with each other and one won't care that you're giving the exact same benefit to another competitor defeats the whole purpose of licensing. But if you can break it out and you're like, well, hey, guys, I, this is for weightlifting, but I want to do a, prod, a version of this thing that is for gardening. Let's say it's a, uh, let's say it's for yoga and you're getting down on your knees and it makes it more comfortable for yoga, right? And you say to them, hey, you know, I want to be able to license this for gardening for seniors that are gardening. And it's like a different application. They, sh- they won't argue with you about that. You know, you'll, they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You can sell that over there. It's for a different purpose. It can be marketed a different way. That's just a random example. Um, let's see. So John, John was earlier, he was saying, look, I, I'm feeling a little discouraged because I'm, I'm not getting responses back from the companies. And thank you for typing further clarification. He wrote, thanks, Andrew. I'm probably not doing enough. I feel wacky and discouraged. So, John, the only thing I can say to you is two things. Um, I can't tell you you're not wacky because I haven't talked to you, but you don't seem wacky from the little bit you typed. Um, And as long as your marketing materials you're sending aren't being perceived as wacky, you're doing pretty good there. And you're not saying wacky things in your email. Okay, so let's take care of the wacky thing there. Um, You're feeling discouraged because in your mind, you feel like you're getting rejected. Now, there's two parts of this. There are, are you, are they even responding at all to let, oh yeah, send me your sell sheet or saying, no, we're not open to ideas. Or are they saying, yes, send it over. And then they're not getting back to you. My guess is you're probably not even really getting in. So where they're saying, oh yes, you can send it to me. So you need to ask permission to send it. So I don't know if you're, if you're blindly sending a sell sheet, like via LinkedIn, man, that is not cool. Like you're, you're submitting your product without permission. Don't do that. So that could be one thing you're doing. I don't know all the things you're doing or not doing. But if you don't see it as rejection and you're, you know, every time a company says no to a product, you didn't get rejected. So let's say you send it to Bob. He's like, no, it's not a right match. He types back to you. You say, oh, are you open to more product submissions? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, you didn't get rejected. You made a contact. So now you got another gardening product. Let's say it's a gardening product. And you look at your list of people you submitted to and you're like, oh, well, you know, I looked at Bob's product line. I think it would fit there. So I'm going to send it to him again. And and you just got his email. You got his name. You made the connection. So you could feel really good that you made the connection. Now, I understand you're not feeling good about that if they're not responding at all. And then you got to evaluate, like, what am I sending? What am I saying? Am I asking permission? Um, if I'm just using LinkedIn, maybe I start doing phone and you do, if I'm just doing phone and you do LinkedIn, you should really be doing both. Um, and you just need to hit it, hit it more. Um, but you need somebody to verify your marketing materials are good, what your settings, right? All that good stuff. But John, don't get discouraged, man. Um, you can totally do this and uh, things jump up in the chat. I lose my place. Um, just keep going. But at some point go, okay, this isn't working. Like, but if you're getting a few responses, it's normal to get a bunch of like non-responses. That's normal. So if you don't know what normal is, you might be feeling discouraged. So hopefully that helps you. It's very normal for our students who are doing everything right to not get responses and have to keep trying. But see, they have a confidence that their marketing materials are good. They're saying the right things on LinkedIn. They're saying the right things on the phone. And they they still 
check with their coach and go, I don't know, this isn't working. Coach is like, no, you're doing everything right. Just keep pushing. And before you know it, they start getting in or they start getting responses or they mix it up and try something different. So you don't have the benefit of that. You're all alone. Um, so I, I hear you, man. I feel you. Um, uh, Jeffrey said, just want to say hi. And I enjoyed watching you at InventorCon this past weekend. Good, good. Yeah, I enjoyed doing that. That was a lot of fun. Um, uh, Don, who organized that whole thing, he did a great job. You know, we we just helped him. Um, he's trying to, it was like 10 bucks, you know, and all these great speakers. And and uh, I think we helped him promote it so much that people were calling our customer service in right, asking for support on how to get into um, the meetings and how to log in and stuff. I'm like, guys, this isn't our event. We're, we're speakers. We had like, I don't know, we had like five different people that were speakers there, maybe four or five. Um, but Don's a good guy. He did a good job organizing that. Um, uh, Howard said, hi, Andrew. Before having a call with a licensee, it's been suggested to get a cost estimate for the product. How do you recommend getting cost estimates when the licensee themselves are the manufacturer? So I don't think you necessarily need a cost estimate the vast majority of the time, Howard. Um, a lot of times you can look at similar things and make assumptions. So let's say I had a pair of glasses and I wanted to, um, I don't know, I'm just going to make up something random. I wanted to put a bump on the inside of these reading glasses that fixes it to my temple a little bit more. Or let's say just make up something crazy. Let's say it's hitting my acupressure point on my temple. So it's, it's giving me a massage so I can put the glasses on then I can move it around like this and it makes me, um, it massages my temple, okay? So do I need to get quotes on that? Not really. I mean, let's say it's plastic, just like the plastic here. So it's just a bump. I mean, I don't know, what is that? One-tenth of a cent of extra in plastic or one-one-hundredth of a cent of extra in plastic? You know it could be done. And you know it's going to be more or less the same price as these other glasses. Why would I need to get a manufacturing quote on that? Problem is that you go into an inventor, so first off, there's the manufacturer slash brand that you license to. And you're right. They're getting it made. Usually they're not even have their own captive factory. They're contacting contract manufacturers quite often in Asia, and they're getting it made. It's not a captive factory. They make stuff for other people too probably. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Um, so for you to reach out to a contract manufacturers, those contract manufacturers are manufacturers that just make stuff, but they don't distribute it or sell it at stores. You don't want to license to those guys. But you could get a quote from them, but they're not going to take you seriously. I'm an inventor and I need a quote for, you know, a hundred thousand of these. And they're kind of like, Oh, who is this guy? And they're going to see you don't have two pennies to rub together. And they're going to see you don't have any distribution. You're not a company. And they're going to give you some ridiculous manufacturing quote to make you go away. If at all. Right. You could go in there and say, look, I represent this manufacturer and they need this done. Can you give me a quote? We need a quote for a hundred thousand of these. And they could, you could get that help and, they could maybe give you a price. But the point I'm getting to, which doesn't always work, is you can look at similar things and make assumptions. Well, there's that product. Maybe it's not even in the same product category. Maybe it's in a different category. Like it's um, it's something for the kitchen, but your product is automotive. But you could find this product, same amount of material, and see it's made more or less the same way. You can see it's selling for $19.95, and all I'm doing is adding a hinge. Or I'm put these two products together. And you can look at price points. You can look at materials. And when a company shows interest, you can actually say, well, there's this and this and selling for these. And I'm just, we're just making these changes. And they're like, oh, 
and it's verifying to them at retail like what it can be made for. And they usually just divide by five and go, that's our cost for that thing. So I'm not saying you can always do that, but you can, if a company really shows interest and you do not need to have manufacturing quotes. Now, do you need to have kind of a feel like, can this be made? Okay. Now anything can be made at a price, right? But the bigger question is, can it be made at a price people will pay? So you always have to ask yourself like that and look at similar products and make assumptions. So let's say, let's say this is this product was just it has that bump, you know, on here, right? It has that bump, and it's the same type of plastic. Okay. Uh, I, I don't need to get a manufacturing quote on that. Now let's say it's a piece a, a piece of foam that goes over this, and it's an accessory on your eyeglass, and it has. Uh, some like semi-hard foam or something like that. Well, you could look at some little kids' toys or this or that, and you could see something that was selling for 79 cents, and you go, okay, I'm going to divide by five. This is a crude way. It's usually, it's usually a five-time markup from what their manufacturer's cost is. That's not always true, but it's a crude way of doing it. Let's say it's selling for 50 cents. You're like, oh, I think it costs is 10 cents. You can actually tell them, look, there's these other products that are kind of somewhat similar, and it sells for these two sell for 50 cents. And so that would be a dollar. And then so your cost probably about 10 cents a piece. Of course, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. And you tell them that and you send them a link to that. Maybe you send them the product. Maybe you cannibalize that product and you slide it on there. But to think that you need, Howard, like all these numbers and they're, the prices they'll get will be so much better than anybody will give you as an independent inventor. So in order to get a good quote, you almost need to lie. And I'm not saying you do that and say, look, I, I work with uh, a company. I can't say who it is, but they need a quote for this, 100,000 units. This is what I need. And to do that, it's also going to be kind of a pain because then you need – they don't take you seriously if you don't have engineering drawings. Now do you go get engineering drawings. Maybe they give you a quote. Maybe they don't. But if a product is really complicated, that you can do something like that to get quotes and you can utilize a contract manufacturing contract manufacturer to see if it can be made. Maybe they're oh, our machines can't even do this. I remember I had this one woman that she had this new idea for toilet paper. And and uh, I think I talked to Stephen about her, other co-founder, and we just Googled a little bit on YouTube and how is toilet paper made? It was very clear that when we looked up how toilet paper was made, there was no way in hell that this product could ever be made. You know, and I had to let her know that, you know. Um, so Howard, I just want to put it in your head not saying you don't ever need to go get quotes, but if you're fairly certain it could be made and made at a reasonable price, you said it's been suggested to get cost estimates by who? Who said you had to do that? And without looking at your product, I can't say one way or another. You might need to, but a lot of times you don't. Um, William says, what is a good package to purchase on LinkedIn? None. Um, we guide our students to use the free version of LinkedIn. You do not need to pay for LinkedIn nor should you. When I get people that pay for LinkedIn and they send me um, in-mail messages, they're paying for the monthly membership, 79 or whatever it is, I just instantly think it's spam. So you need to use the techniques that we teach. We teach, uh, we have a program called Smart Pitch that's included with our coaching program. You can buy it separately too. And we teach people to um, use LinkedIn for licensing. And Benjamin Harrison is a great guy, shows you how to do that. And you, do ne you never need to pay for a LinkedIn um, membership to do that. You can just use the free version. 
Um, okay, uh, Mayor said, and then we got about 10 minutes left. I have a product that is a prototype, but 80% functional. A company is asking for samples. How can I move forward without losing them by sending a product that has some flaws? Well, first of all, Mayor, if you were a student of ours, which you're not, but if you were a student of ours, a coach would say, do not ever send a prototype. Now, I'm not saying not later. You want to get on the phone and talk with them. You're not selling your prototype. People, they're asking for it. And here's the thing people understand. You don't give them what you're asking for. They're asking for all the time. They will not guide you. They will guide you down the wrong path. They're not trying to guide you down the wrong path. But the path that we guide people to take is to talk to the potential licensee. They want a prototype. Okay. They might be saying that because they don't know how to move the deal forward. You need to get on the phone and talk with them. Um, create some rapport because you're not a real person yet. So what I mean by that is they need to go, oh, this guy is easy enough to talk to. That is more important. That's very, very important. So you got all this leverage. You want to get on the phone. You want to talk to them about the product, establish some rapport, see if there's some misperceptions about the product. Ask them what they're looking for. What's of a concern to them? They might go, you might tell them about the shortcomings. They're like, oh, no, no, we get it. Yeah, we, we just want to get some quotes. We'll get some quotes over in China right now. We have enough information now. Explain it to us, you know. Or they might say, send us your prototype. But you need to guide them way more than they guide you. And so if all our students just did whatever the company said, 90% of the deals would die. So people are like, well, they know what they want, Andrew. No, they don't. And they don't know how to guide licensing deals to get done. Uh, a few companies do, but most companies don't. You need to guide them so that you kind of partially give them what they want. You're partially asking for what you need, and you need to know how to guide that deal. So, Murr, you definitely 100% do not want to sit on a prototype. You want to get on the phone, and you want to talk with them, and you want to talk about the product. You want to get them wrapped up in your project. You want to, if they spent even just 10 or 15 minutes talking on the phone, they'd become part of the project, whether they like it or not. If they just drop you an email, send me your prototype, it took them 30 seconds to write that. It's no commitment whatsoever. And your prototype isn't going to sell it and they're going to break it and they're not going to use it right and all that stuff. So you need to talk it out with them first. Okay. Um, yeah. And you say you can't afford to make a production part. Yeah. And you probably won't need to. So get on the phone with them. You know, you're not a student of ours, so I can't guide you on every little thing you say because it depends on the product and the scenario and all that stuff and what's been said before. But you need to get on the phone and talk to them, okay? Um, okay. Jermaine said, uh, hello, Andrew. Can you, uh, can you detail more in regards to the time it actually takes from deal signing product selling and getting paid. It seems from chats and forums, a lot expect slash think it happens sooner than later. Uh, um, so, so you're saying the time it takes from deal signing to product being sold to getting paid. Okay. So when you sign, if you sign a licensing deal today, Jermaine, you should not expect, except for a small amount of upfront money, which you could put towards paying for a patent or something else. Small, very small. I mean, I'm talking like two, five thousand, eight thousand dollars max, only if um, you're applying it to a patent. 
you know, really. And this could be on a product. You could be earning 200K a year in royalties are. I'm not kidding. You do not want to front load the deal. So you need to be patient. Now, when you run a business and you sell your own product, it can be years before you're profitable. You sink every penny you put back in there and you're earning nothing. So to sit around waiting, which is what you'll have to do after you license the product, three to nine months or over a year, because you get paid your royalties quarterly every three months. So let's say it takes some eight months to get it to market. And then it's got to be in the stores for three months. Usually first quarter sales are going to be less. So that's another three months because you get paid your royalties quarterly. That's 11 months right there. So pretty much expect in most scenarios, um, it's going to be a year before you start earning royalties. But that's way better than starting your own business, selling it yourself. It might be years and years and years before you're profitable and you need to stick every penny you make back into it and you don't even pay yourself anything. So I don't see that as a bad thing. I see that as incredibly fast. But it might take you a while. It might take you six months or a year or a year and a half before you get your first deal. And then a year after that. So this is not Get Rich Quick. Stephen, who's our other co-founder myself, we do not sell Get Rich Quick. We never have. We never will. Um, and we don't have to because... Our students, maybe not every YouTube fan, but our students that become students and get one-on-one coaching, um, they're really passionate about their products and they're they're okay with that. And if they're not okay with that, they don't sign up and I don't want them to be a student because they're in the wrong mindset. This thought that you're going to make a million dollars overnight, it's just garbage. It really is. Um, if you're going to make millions of dollars of licensing, it's going to be over time and it's probably going to be with multiple products. You know, say you're earning 100K a year and a product sells for eight years. And that's what you're earning each year. That's $800,000. Okay, it's still not a million dollars after eight years. But if you, in, in the meantime, you've been licensing other products, in other words, earning 20K, 40K, 50K, whatever it is, you know, can you become a millionaire licensing? Yes. But don't quit your day job because you want, I, I'm not comfortable with people quitting their day job, even if they're earning 100K a year licensing a product, because that could drop off overnight. So I'm more comfortable with people quitting their day job when they've licensed at least two or three products. So if one falls off, you still got income coming in from the other others. You know, that's the reality. That's licensing. We're all about um, reality here at Invent, right? We're not get rich quick. We never will be. And I don't want people that are get rich quick. And there's a ton of that crap on the internet with the Bitcoin and the get rich quick on Google AdWords and Amazon and it just all these people selling get rich quick. It's just a bunch of garbage. Um, our students, even though licensing is a fraction of what it takes to venture ideas, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't. I mean, to venture and sell your own product, oh, my God, it's an insane amount of work. When you're licensing, you just need to do that deal, and then it's all on them, their money, their workforce, their distribution. If you want to become a celebrity and they're okay with it and you want to help promote the product and they're okay with that, great. But you don't have to do that. Um, but it takes them a while to launch a product. And then some products fail. Some products fail. Not every product that you license, not every product a company sells will continue to sell forever, right? But here's the thing. If it doesn't, it, it comes right back to you because you never sell your idea. You rent or you lease it. If they don't perform, you can take it back. doesn't mean you do. So maybe a, we've had students where the company's kind of struggling and a student will renegotiate the contract, say, okay, come on, guys, why don't you try this? And then they're like, okay. And then it gets off to, and it does better. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, but if they don't perform, they don't meet minimum guarantees and other 
performance clause in the contract, you can always take it back. Sometimes I talk to inventors that are really worried about a company stealing their idea and sitting on it or licensing it and sitting on it. I'm like, that would never happen to one of our students. We would never let one of our students do a deal where there are multiple performance clauses where you get it back. So you're never selling your idea. You don't want to even use the word selling your idea. You want to use rent or lease. Um, that's what you're doing. And you never sell your patent. Um, that's Attorneys, they, they're so proud of what they did for their inventors. I, I get that. But you're not selling your patent. You're, you're not selling your prototype. You're selling the benefit of your product. And that's why we firmly believe that um, when you send a sell sheet, that is doing the best job possible of selling the benefit of your product because that shows them how they're going to sell it. It just cuts out all, you don't have time to explain. You don't have time to pitch. You don't have time for a 15 page slide deck. Nobody will look at that junk. And especially not when you're licensing. And that's why most inventors don't successfully license their products because they're not doing it the event right way. They're not, and we've figured that out. So we had a company that came on and said, look, I always like to see a prototype. That's not practical. Like, are you going to make 15 prototypes for 15 different companies and send it to all of them without sending a sell sheet first? Hell no, you're not going to do that. Now, we had one of these bridging the gap companies that are companies that we teamed up with that come on and they tell our students, this is what we're looking for. It's just a really cool new program we're doing. And the one, one guy said that. But I still said to the student, I said, you're not going to like send 30 prototypes to 30 companies because prototypes don't sell. Sell sheets and videos sell because you're selling the benefit of your product. And you're right. The prototypes will break. They don't get used right. And I'll give you a last tip here before we close it out. Um, if you do send a prototype, and I gave this tip on this Bridging the Gap meeting, and actually one of the manufacturers that was on the Bridging the Gap meeting said, Andrew, I love that. That's great. I do that. And I love it when inventors do this. If you do need to send a prototype, send the instructions, send the sell sheet, maybe one size instructions, one size sell sheet, laminate it, and zip tie it to the product because they will use it wrong. They'll break it. They'll complain about it. And they won't know what the benefit is if they don't have the marketing in front of them and they don't have instructions on how to use it. So never send a prototype without, and if it's a piece of paper, you know, you need to laminate it, you know, so you know how you laminate a business card or something, um, laminate it, zip tie it to the product. That's a, a fun tip. There was somebody that was probably going to be sending a prototype at some point here that was talking earlier. So, um, well, I'll do one last question. And then uh, if you guys want to type anything in about what you thought about tonight, um, let me know. But uh, please do me a favor. If you felt like this is really helpful, it doesn't cost you a dime. If you're not subscribed to our channel, click on the subscribe button, click on the like button. That'll help us out tremendously. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, uh, I always try to do that. I watch a ton of YouTube videos. It's not like when you click on subscribe, anything particular is going to happen, but it helps us out tremendously. So if you felt like, wow, this is amazing. Andrew did all this for free, which people tell me that all the time. Please subscribe, like, watch more videos, like all those as well. Um, if you like them, if you don't like them, don't don't click thumbs up. But um, so last question, uh, Chris, Cristiano said, what works better, sell sheets or videos? So we guide our students to do a one page sell sheet, eight and a half by 11 sell sheet. And it's an advertisement for your product. It's not for the company. You're not talking about how we'll make millions only if we get 2% of the market, we'll make tons of money. None of that junk. It's an advertisement for their customer. Okay. You want them to look at it and go, oh, that's how we would sell it. Right. 
And it has to be damn good, okay? You can't look like a kindergartner drew it. It's got to look good. And a lot of times our students will do virtual prototypes for our students, and it looks beautiful because they couldn't make a prototype. So that's one, one issue there. Now, videos, always under 60 seconds, sometimes under 30 seconds, never longer than 60 seconds. It's got to be very direct to the point. And it, you're not, hi, my name's Bob, and I've been inventing for a long time, and I came up with a good idea that my wife said was good and my kids like, and I absolutely, no, 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 none of that, okay? Uh, <laughs> and so if you're not good on video, a video could be a bunch of still images with somebody narrating it, could be some videos, some still images, and if you're not video ready, don't do it. Find somebody that can do it for you. Very punchy to the point. You guys have seen video ads. You know how to do it. Most people suck at it, though. Most people suck at sell sheets, too. So um, it's very rare that I get a new InventRight student. If they have done a video or sell sheet where I'm like, oh, that's just good enough. We'll use that. Almost never. I would say 5% of the time at most. And we have some really smart students. Some of them have a marketing background. You don't want like terrible, definitely not. And you don't want okay. You want, oh, I get it right away. And if it's not, I get it right away. It's not good enough. Okay. So I'll leave you guys with that. Um, uh, Ida, thank you, Andrew, for sharing all this info. InventRight is awesome. Thank you, Ida. Uh, Sports uh Broadcast again, wonderful. Share it and watch again. Keep going, Andrew. Thank you. Uh, Kelly, thank you, Andrew. Uh, John, thank you, Andrew. Great information. Appreciate the time. Been a fan of EventRight. Stephen, great job. Uh, Lana, always love listening to you, Andrew. Your tips and advice are priceless. I learn something new every Q&A. Uh, Kelly, outstanding as always. I got some regulars here. Huh? That's great. Um, so, you know, under... Hopefully we come out of COVID, Stephen and myself and a lot of our, our coaches and staff, we will go to different trade shows and we'll meet our fans, we'll meet our students. So if we come out of COVID and trade shows start happening again, I don't know if they will or not anytime soon, please, I'd love to meet you guys. Love to, love to meet you. And if you're interested in becoming a student, you can learn more about our coaching program on inventright.com. And I remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch you the next time. See you guys. I don't know what that was. It was like, what was that? That was obnoxious. See you guys. Bye. <laughs>